We are in the midst of a series that's going to kind of go all summer, and it's going to take us through three minor prophets, and we'll be focused on different ones throughout this summer, but this first series is in the book of Jonah. And the reason we have sensed kind of a leading or a calling uh, to, to chase after some of these minor prophets is because the prophets really call us to examine our lives. I think sometimes when we get to the summer and things begin to adjust in our schedule, we don't maybe have the same pace of classes or life or work, and and there's just something that's unique and different about summer. And when it comes, uh, we're hoping that we can take this period of time or this season to really call all of us to truly examine our hearts. Where is it that we are in relation with God? How is it that we are following his leading in our life, and what does that look like? And I think that each of the prophets really call us to do that. And uh, this first book uh, we're going through is the book of Jonah. And this morning we're going to look at all of chapter 1. Last week we kind of did a bit of an overview of the book and focused on the first three verses. But this week it is all about uh, chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. But we're going to look at three movements that happen in chapter 1. It's really clear in the text that there are three movements. And there's a movement away, a movement down, and a movement up. That in chapter 1, you see very clearly these three things happening. There's a movement away, a movement down, and then a movement up. And this first movement is a movement away. And this is going to be a bit of a review for those of you from last week that were here. um, As we kind of explore this idea again that Jonah ran. I mean, Jonah had this movement where God called him to do something, and he immediately went away. He ran. And I don't, I don't know what comes to your mind when you kind of picture this idea of a prophet kind of just running, skipping town, getting out as quick as he can. Three different images came to my mind as I thought of this idea of the prophet running. Here's the first one, for those of you movie buffs. Um, chariots of Fire. Some of you, this is way too old for you. Um, others of you, this is like in your era. And uh, this whole idea of running. Anytime I think of running, this is one of the things I think of. Here's another example of running. Right, run, Jonah, run. You're right? I mean, there, he, he gets, he's just heading out of town. This last one might be a little bit more appropriate if you're one of the 95 million people who watched this example of running. Some of you, again, this might be over you, but this was in 94. A certain individual ran and ran and ran and people followed. But you get this this idea that Jonah had a movement that's drastic. A movement completely away from what God called or attended him to do. If you look in the text, look with me here. In uh, verse 2, it says this. It says, Clearly that the Lord spoke to Jonah and said, Arise, go. He's calling him to get up and to head out toward the people of Nineveh. It's a very direct, very specific calling. But then in verse 3, the next verse, it says, But Jonah rose to flee. So God says, Arise and go. And Jonah says, No, I'm going to arise and flee and goes away from. To give you a little perspective on what that looks like, here's a quick picture of a map. 
You might be able to see this, you might not, but down here in this lower corner is Jerusalem. Up here is Nineveh. Instead of heading in the direction of Nineveh, very clearly Jonah went toward Joppa and then took the boat, next slide, to Tarshish. Tarshish is the little dot over here, completely on the opposite side. So there's this idea of Jonah not just deciding to move a little bit away from what God has called him to do, but a drastic, drastic move away. I wonder sometimes how often our journey reflects the same kind of journey that Jonah took. In fact, I think Jonah's journey is one that all of us make. That all of us at some point have a Nineveh. This place that we are unwilling to go. This place where we say, I'm not going to head there. Whether it's we rationalize a a lack of obedience where we say, and I want to follow, but for all of these obvious to myself reasons, I'm not going to follow in what God has called me to do. Or, we begin to believe certain lies and we say, this thing that I'm already involved in, I'm just going to keep doing it. Even though I know God has commanded me to step away from it, to cease doing it, I'm just at this place right now where I just am going to keep doing it. So last week we talked about this question, what is your Nineveh? And several of you gave me feedback that there is this area in your life that you have been running away from. This thing that you have not wanted to step into. And you've decided this week that, hey, I'm, I'm going to move toward, not away. But this first movement in the text is a movement away. The rest of this morning, I want to kind of move forward. Instead of reviewing any further, I want to look at the second two movements that happen in this text. So if you have your Bible, look into Jonah 1 with me. And I'm going to read um, this whole section because I think it's helpful for us to see the story. And it says this in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? It's like 20 questions. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea 
in the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick up or pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the second movement in the text, the first one is a movement away, the second movement is a movement down. Now it's really clear in this text that that is the case once you hear the first kind of statement from the Lord. Right away, the Lord says, rise, get up, and go. He's commanding him to get up or to go up. And in this text, what you see or what you notice is a movement downward. Let me give you a couple examples. It says in verse 3 that he went down to Joppa. Then it said that he went down into the ship. And then lastly, that he went down to sleep. That there's this continual movement down, that avoiding your Nineveh in many ways creates a downward movement. And here's how I think the movement down impacts us. First of all, a movement down always has consequences at some level. You'll see here in, in this, uh, the passage, there are numerous consequences. We could list a lot of them, but one of the clearest signs of the consequences of Jonah fleeing was the raging of the storm. If you look in verse 4, it says that the storm grew more and more violent and it threatened to break the ship. A little bit later, I think it's in verse 11, it says again that the storm grew with greater intensity. And yet they still chose not to follow. And then it gets into verse 13 and it says that the, uh, the sailors decided, oh man, this is Jonah's fault. He says, throw throw him overboard. We say, no, let's keep rowing. And then it says again that the storm grew more and more violent. There is this idea that um, the circumstances often intensify as we avoid our Nineveh. And what's intriguing to me in this passage is that God uses both circumstances and people to draw Jonah back to this idea that you cannot flee. You can't run away from this. He brings the circumstances of the storm, but he also brings this sailor who does not know God directly to him, calling him out and saying, hey, you need to arise. Isn't that interesting? He uses the same word that God did. You need to arise and call on your God. Stop fleeing you're, go, you're heading down. There's this movement down. And I'm saying to you as a, a follower, not of God, I'm, I'm saying to you, arise again and call out to your God. 
And I think that when we look at sin and when we look at this idea of disobedience and this movement away from what God calls for us, sometimes there's a tendency for us to only look at it from a negative perspective. To only go, man, whenever you disobey, it just gets worse and worse and worse. I want to look at it from a slightly different, nuanced angle this morning, and that is this. That when we move away or when we head down, when those movements are a part of our life, one of the things that I feel is very clear in Scripture that we do is we forfeit God's best for us. Instead of looking at it always as, hey, if you do wrong, you'll get slapped on the wrist. If you do wrong, God will judge. If you do wrong, there is... No, instead of looking at it that way, over and over in the text, it is very clear that if we move away or we move down, that what we are doing is forfeiting or sacrificing all that God has intended for us. And you see it very clear in the text. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, it says in Isaiah 48, God is speaking, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. But if you want peace, if you want this settledness in life, one of the things that God is saying is walk in, follow me. And when that happens, you don't forfeit peace. You have it. Another example is found in Psalm 81. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will give you good things. I will heap abundance on you. Then he says, Oh, that my people would but listen to me. If Israel would follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Later he says, You would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. If instead of running, instead of heading down and away, if you move toward me, there would be this place of satisfaction. There would be this This idea that I am behind and with you. Jeremiah 5 says, Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withheld good things from you. And the last one is found in Psalm 84. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows grace and favor and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. What God is saying over and over in the text is that I have your best in mind if you follow me. That when you follow, when your movement is not one that is down, but rather one that is toward me, then you will find that I will satisfy you with good things. You will find that that I am caring for you, that I am doing all of these things, and that your best is realized. I don't know how many conversations... I've had in the last several years where someone has said to me, you know what, I realized recently I could have avoided all of this that I'm currently going through. If only I would have decided to follow earlier on. Or I'll have one of these. Someone will come up to me after this period of time in which they have been chasing after God in a new intensity they've never done before, and they say, I never realized how good it is to follow. I mean, really, that's 
what Jonah is experiencing here. That he had this movement away from God that began to see a movement down in the text. Another movement, or another part of movement down, is that movement and down always affects other people. It always impacts others. I think sometimes we uh, would like to believe that our movement down or our movement away from God really only influences or impacts our life. But the truth is, it always affects other people. In this passage, it's very, very clear that it affected the sailors. So he gets on the ship to flee from the presence of the Lord, and the storm begins to rage, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And the sailors begin to throw their food overboard. They begin to throw their possessions overboard. They begin to get rid of everything that they own on the ship, all their cargo, all their freight, maybe the stuff that they're taking to another country that they're getting paid for. They're offloading all of it. It also says that the storm threatened to break the ship. Anytime, I would assume, not much of a sailor, but anytime that the ship is threatened to break, there's certainly going to be in need of repair. And most likely, when the storm ended, they probably didn't carry on to their destination. They probably turned back around, went back to the port, and began to make repairs, began to make up for lost wages, probably had to make up for lost cargo. I mean, there was great impact on the life of the sailors simply because of the decision of Jonah. So my question to you this morning, and I want you to discuss it for about a minute with someone near you, is this. How do, we don't, won't say your decisions, how do people's decisions in general affect others? Give me some examples of what that looks like. Okay? So how do your actions or other people's actions affect those around you? I'll give you about a minute to discuss it, and then I'll grab some answers. Okay? All right? Give me uh, some examples. How do your actions or the actions of others impact or affect your life when someone chooses to run away or has a movement that's down? How does it impact or affect you? Yeah, so absolutely. That, that as, you, as you lead others, they're going to, in many ways, follow your example. And so, um, kind of like someone who's running a race and then takes the wrong path, and people begin to follow down the wrong path, um, it can have drastic effects. So good. Other examples? Absolutely. So other people have to pick up the slack or have to carry more weight because someone in a family, in a team, in some group or is not carrying their weight, is not following through on what God's called. Good. Other examples? Any others come to mind? Yeah, attitude is a perfect example. I mean, there are times when someone walks into a room and the room changes. That simply their presence and the attitude they brought with them suddenly turns the whole mood of the room because of that attitude. So it drastically affects. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I could only hear part of it. 
A little louder. Yeah, the whole example of people saying, hey, something's going to happen that doesn't come to happen. And yeah, many people are caught up in that and follow that. Yeah, that's great. Any other examples? I think another example that stands out to me is just this idea of reputation, right? That you, we here are all, whether we like it or not, a part of the body of Christ. And being a part of the body of Christ means we're a part of the family of God. Being a part of the family, if a family member does something, it affects the reputation of the family, right? Whether you like it or not. I mean, there are times where I see something in the news that someone does, and then they're like, yes, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. You know? Because it doesn't just impact them. It impacts all of us at some level. I just want to like erase that part out of the news. Like, I'll scratch that. Because ultimately, our decisions, our actions affect others. Regardless of how much we say it's independent, we're in an individualized society. It always, always impacts others. Third movement in the text is a movement up. So you have this movement that Jonah has where he runs away. You have this movement down where the consequences of life begin to sink in for him, that his choices begin to move him uh, to a place where his decisions affect others, where he begins to see consequences. All of that is taking place in this text. But the last movement is a movement up where you begin to see the grace of God enter into this text in a unique way. That often when we think of Jonah, we think of Jonah running and we think of God going, well, at some point you're going to come back. I mean, you all do. At some point you're going to have to come back to me. But no. Instead what you see in this text is a movement of God in pursuit. Right? I mean, this is a God that could say, I'm just going to ignore this self-righteous, judgmental, racist prophet. I'm just going to ignore him, let him go, let him leave, let him be on his own, let him sulk. If he wants to head to Tarshish, that's fine, I'll just find somebody else for the task. But instead, what he does is he pursues. You realize he has the same movement with us, right? That when we begin to move away or we begin to see ourselves move down, that God doesn't just stand back aloof to the whole situation, but instead becomes a pursuer. I mean, the history of man is the story of God in pursuit. Is it not? Let me give you some examples. In the garden, he searches for Adam and Eve. He chases after them to find them. He wrestles with Isaac. There's this period of time where Isaac's been running and running and running and he chases him down and they have this divine wrestling match. And God wins. Always does. He pursues Moses. Moses goes to wander for years. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. And he comes to him in the burning bush and calls him back. That he finds Gideon beating out grain and grinding it in a threshing area and he goes I'm calling you he calls to Samuel at night he whispers quietly Samuel 
you find him chasing down Elijah. After Elijah has this massive victory, great things happen. He hits this period of depression. He runs away. God chases him down and finds him in a cave and whispers to him. You also have this picture of Jonah. And then you have us. That at some point and at some time, he's in this constant pursuit. And at, other, at certain times, it seems like he's very much pursuing. And at other times, it's this steady pursuit. But what's interesting is the truth is we are objects of God's chase. That God has this overwhelming love for us. So much so that He is passionately pursuing you. He wants to deepen a relationship with you. He wants to know you more. He will not let you running away and you running down thwart what His goal is for you. So what you see in this text is not just, it's not just the story of Jonah and it's not just the story of us. I mean, the Bible really um, has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me, and yet it has everything to do with us. I mean, it's this fascinating thing, but really the reality is all of Scripture is about God. All of Scripture is this picture of Jesus. And as we move into this time of communion and remembering His sacrifice for us, I mean, we need to understand that what He is doing is moving us upward. You see it in verse 16. All of these things happen, and then here in verse 16 you see this. At the very end, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What ends up happening is through all of this storm, through all of these difficulties, through all of the effects of disobedience, God comes in, chases and pursues Jonah, and gets him, gets the sailors, and gets us in reading it to reflect up to sacrifice, to worship, to to make vows, and to begin to say, this is the God we follow. This is the God we serve. I mean, this is the God that describes in the New Testament is, is leaving the 99 to pursue the one. He's the God that's seen in the New Testament as saying that I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. That I pursue you. And so this morning, as we take communion, and as we reflect on His sacrifice for us, I want you to also just reflect on this idea, and it might be hard for some of us to reflect on the idea that He is a pursuer. I mean, I can think of hundreds of reasons in my life that God wouldn't want to pursue me. And maybe only think of a few reasons why He might be okay with it. And you might feel that way too, but the truth is that God is a God that is pursuing this relationship with you. And He doesn't want your movement to be one that's away or one that's down, but He wants a movement where you're looking up. And that all of your life is, as the sailors did in that moment, this reflection of, I will fear the Lord. Not in this scary sense, but in the sense of I am in awe of Him and my life will be a picture of what it means to follow. So as we head into communion, head into it with those thoughts. We'll have servers here in both corners. 
And so you can just come up during this next set and uh, partake of communion. Let's pray.